You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he put the bop and the bop shabop shabop, Mr. Jeff McLarge. I also put the ram in the ramble and ding dong. So I've been oh, told. that was you. It looked, you looked familiar. It's, I knew your face. It's, I do have a familiar a familiar mug, as they say. As we just got done doing the pre-show notes and all that. And uh, if you are a music fan, you are going to either love or loathe this episode because we do have a lot of music stuff to talk about. Here's the thing. All right. I am now a unicycle rider, which is about as sexy as you can get. <laughs> and what's great about it is I've been a cyclist for years, but I can get cardio wise as much done in a half an hour unicycle ride that would take me about an hour and a half to two hours on a bicycle. It's uh, it's an ass kicker. You wouldn't think that this goofy-looking thing is such a, a, a strenuous workout, right? Most most of the time when people ride, you know, people see me riding the unicycle, uh, the most common thing I get is people blowing their horn, which, thank you, this gets the hell out of me. Uh, the most common reaction I get is, yeah! But the other day, this girl yelled out this, like, piece of zen at me. She yelled out, it's all about the balance, man. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, thanks. I, I had no idea. Yeah. What have I been doing wrong? So now I, I'm, I'm heading back home. I, I make like this wide circle and I'm heading back home. I'm coming down this side street. And this guy on a motorcycle it, with like the car stereo aftermarket thing kind of yeah, put yeah. in there. My uh, my Bluetooth headphone speaker thing, the, the battery had died. Yep. So now I just have the phone in my pocket. You know, it's I can barely hear it. Right. And I'm listening to the remotes, right? Right. Here comes this motorcycle coming up the street, and it's like, and it's like it's heading right towards me, like he's making a beeline for me, and I'm like, what? Are you, what is this guy? You know, right? Yeah, you're on a motorcycle. I know. I, I, you're a big tough guy in a leather jacket. I'm on. I'm on a a unicycle. I'm a I'm a circus freak. I get it. Okay. So what this guy's doing though is he's actually taking this like wide turn to go into his driveway, right? So he's like, and he pulls into his driveway, and he shuts off his engine, but the car stereo thing is still going. Right. Super, super loud, right? Yep. So here I am. I'm on this little tiny speaker listening to the mother Ramones, okay? R-A-M-O-N-E-S, Ramones. Yep. What is this jackhole listening to this loud? Justin Timberlake. Oh, you're not that far off. He's listening to Katy Perry. That is not that far off. And he's listening to the song Roar. Yeah, you know, I got the eye yeah, and yeah, the tiger. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right. It's not a bad who, song. Who? Are you kidding me? That's only, that is, that's foreshadowing, kids. And that's one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life, honestly. Like, seriously, yes. if you're not a 14-year-old girl with pimples, 
You know, <laughs> why are you listening to that look, song? Look, every now and then, everybody is a 14-year-old girl with pimples who's had a sh- day <laughs> and they're standing at the end of their driveway and they close their eyes and they turn off their Harley Davidson and they stand there being 50 pounds overweight and in an underpaid job for their whole life and they're wondering what they're going to do because they don't want to go in the house because they were arguing with their significant other just a few hours ago. All you can do is scream along with Katy Perry and that makes it all better for four minutes. All right, but I draw the line at fireworks, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Here is the circus clown listening to the Ramones and here's Harley dude listening to Katy Perry and all I could think of was my lesson for the day. It's all about that balance, man. Right. That is absolutely that is absolutely the case. Hey, speaking of motor vehicles, you can go from one wheel to two wheels to four wheels. I bought a car for my daughter today. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, she's almost old enough to drive. She's old enough to start learning, and I wanted to learn on a standard transmission. So I, I found her a 2005 Plymouth PT Cruiser convertible. I just took it for a test drive today, this car. It is the heaviest, <laughs> slowest car i have ever driven it's like it's like it's teleported a car into the from the 1970s into 2005 and made a car with it well i think it is amazing i think what those cars were was like the chassis of like a a geo metro or something or something really you know small like that with this like big heavy body on top of it so yeah that because it's a convertible they have to use like seven thousand million more lag bolts to hold it all together and keep the body panels just from blowing off oh, sure. but yeah i took it for right she's not going to be getting any speeding tickets in this thing for sure <laughs> and it's funny because you know, this car was made the same year she was born oh, oh wow. wow yeah go figure so yeah. she won't be going up any steep hills either <laughs> No, not if yet. Well, she's she's got a lot of friends. That's good because they can get out and push while she steers. <laughs> All right, so let's get the show rolling. The music, right. the music episode. Oh. All right, so we're gonna start off. Not everything is about music, but a lot of it is. Uh, this is the week beginning August the third, and August I the 3rd. and I will start this week. Okay. So August the third, nineteen thirty-three, the very first Mickey Mouse watch becomes available. It's yeah, yeah its price was two dollars and seventy-five cents. That's 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 impressive. I, I wonder how much entertainment merchandising there was in nineteen thirty-three at that time. Oh, right. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder point. how little there was. I wonder if this was one of those origins. This is like the origin of the idea that like, hey, if people like to look at this cartoon, maybe. They'd like to buy this doodad that has the cartoon picture already on it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, like the Transformers model. Yeah, right, right. I wonder. I wonder if that was if that was the origin of that that sort of that kind of marketing tie-in. You can still buy those watches, by the way. Yeah, they cost more than two seventy-five. They're, yeah, they're a little bit more expensive now. I don't think I've ever. I've not. I've never owned one. Nope. I've never mm-hmm. owned one. I've never been really that huge of a Disney person. I guess by default I am now because everything I ever loved is now owned by Disney. It's a kind of a weird place to be. Yeah. I I grew up watching the Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday nights. Uh-huh. Of them, the only thing I can remember it must have been like nineteen seventy-five or so. They did an episode called "Dad, Can I Borrow the Car," which was this weird live-action hour of segment about cars mm-hmm. I, I apropos of nothing today's conversation right? right it was narrated by kurt russell who would go on to become mccready in the thing among other characters and, uh, snake plissken and escape from new york and one of the segments in there featured this it was like a tv commercial for a used car dealership called mighty misdemeanor motors you can find the whole clip um, i think i remember this with, in great school. <laughs> with the the owner of mighty misdemeanor motors is a guy named speed felon he's <laughs> got a banjo with him and he's taking you through this run of 
destroyed cars. Did and the cars talk at the, all? The segment before that one had cars talking, yes, but this particular one was just a commercial. Okay. And he talks super duper fast, and it's one of those things that I've gone back and watched over and over again because even now when I watch it, I still cackle like I'm seeing it for the very first time because there's so much humor packed into this little four-minute segment. That's- if it's the same one that I saw when I was in grade school, the one that sticks out in my mind, the reason why I asked about the cars talking was it was there was like a Volkswagen, and of course it had a German accent, and it says, "Are you just shopping around, or are you ready to buy?" We have ways of finding out, you know. And that's actually from the segment that aired right before this commercial where the main character, the narrator character, Kurt Russell, yes. he got tired of going to car lots and, and looking at cars and he just would watch and see if there's anything on TV that was worth going to check out. And that showed the commercial for Mighty Misdemeanor Motors. Funny. Yeah, there's so many eras of Disney. You know, you have the crazy, wacky, incredibly racist era. Then you have like the 90s with the, the resurge of the cartoons and stuff. Right. And then you have the princesses era. And right. then now we're in the like the, the most modern era where they just own everything. Well, they own everything and then they're remaking all of their late 80s and early 90s triumphs, right? So there's like The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, oh, sure. and uh, Little Mermaid and, and the others. And they're all being remade as live action films now that are just doing horribly at the box yeah. office because it's yeah. one of those like, why, why would you do that? Why would you mess around with something that's ultimately perfection? Like put the money into something new. What made those films successful in the 80s and 90s is they were putting money into, into a new idea instead of going back and recycling it. It's, it's weird. We're going we're gonna to come back around to this topic a little bit later. All right. So, so let's move on to the next day. August 4th, 1956. Yep. Elvis Aaron Presley releases the song Hound Dog. We've all heard this song. We've probably heard this song in the womb. <laughs> and it's probably still played there on Womb Radio now. My kids know this song. W-O-M-B. It was also released at the same time by this African-American blues singer named Big Mama Thornton. You can see videos of her doing this song in the 50s and 60s on YouTube. They're awesome. Right. Great song all the way around. So Elvis, this song to sort of new heights. It sort of helped pave the way. Or this sort of weird model where white artists would take black music and make it radio playable was Right. became kind of the birth of, of the birth of rock and roll. Right, because 1956, it was still segregation. Still segregated, yep. And it was like DJs like Alan Freed would play. They'd play Chubby Checker, and they'd play uh, Little Richard. And then he'd also play Pat Boone doing Little Richard or Elvis Presley doing Big Mama Thornton. And then other radio stations would play just those sort of white versions of those songs. That's sort of where the weird foundation of rock and roll starts. Yep. And it... Well, the beauty of it is like, I mean, at least Elvis had like some soul to him where Pat Boone, (laughs) Pat Boone did not have, you know. He was definitely a a different character than Elvis Presley was. He wasn't dangerous. He wasn't somebody who, who sort of captured the, some of the other aspects of where the music came from. He had like no sex appeal. Yep. You know what? Uh, Sadly, know, sorry, Pat Boone, if you're out there listening. Uh, you know what just came out recently too was the the infamous television appearance of Elvis, where they filled them from the waist up because they said that his uh, hip gyrations, yeah, his gyrations were, would, were yeah, would, I don't suggested. know what they were going to do. Right, too suggestive. They're going to make women ovulate as yeah. soon as they saw that. But yeah, again, you know, but hold on, it just came out recently that that had nothing to do with the television networks or the producers. That was the colonel's idea. Well, there you go. So you build you build that controversy. Yeah. Like they want they he on purposely kept Elvis from the waist up on TV to make people come out and see him in concert. Right. Yeah, it was a total marketing idea. Go Colonel. This topic also gives Bill and I an opportunity to practice our generally terrible Elvis impersonations. <laughs> so do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh you can go first. All right. You're going to eat all those chili dogs. <laughs> I, I, I could really use me one of those chili dogs. Thank you very much. 
You can invest in mayonnaise. That's good. All right, Bill, it's your uh, turn. My, my Elvis impersonation hinges on the singing part. Oh. Because if you go and you listen to the song, my it's my favorite Elvis song, Hunka Hunka Burnin' Love, or Burnin' Love. Yep. In between each verse, you have to put up the volume, but you can hear him go, like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I have to listen for that next time. It's like the Louis Armstrong song, Wonderful World. Right. If you put the volume up, you can hear him like gasping for breaths <laughs> in between each song. It's like, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's too funny. It's, I too have a have a favorite uh, Elvis Presley song. <laughs> Although the first one that I remember being exposed to as a kid was Hound Dog because my dad had this 45 for, for, all the time. for you kids out there. That's the single, single size. But uh, mine is always um, Can't Help Falling in Love with You. That's my favorite of his songs. We brought up Danzig last week. I haven't heard it yet, but I keep seeing the ads for it. I guess Danzig recorded an album of all Elvis songs. Really? I need this in my life. I definitely need to go find this now, too. I'm going to buy it without even listening to it. I will probably buy it and never listen to it. That's how much I'm going to like it. All right. So speaking of punk rock icons that are singing classic albums, yes. August 5th, 1972, the Moody Blues oh, yeah. release Nights in White Satin, which one of my favorite punk rock bands, the Dickies, do a masterful nice. cover of. That's a fantastic song. It's a great single. It, it really is. It really is. It's it's super over the top and emotive you can hear that it sounds like the band is is in the throes of some almost orgasmic love for somebody and then yeah, and it's it's very of its time yes. too yep like it should come to no surprise that it's like 1972 no. it sounds like 1972 right. it does sound yeah. like 1972 and it's like it's it's just straddling that weird spot where prog rock was growing into something mm-hmm. else and from something before from psychedelia before it Right. And this one, this one has like this hard break with this ridiculous poem at the end of it, which even now when I hear it on the radio, which is, it's in such surprisingly high playlist count on some of the stations I listen to, the poem always makes me wince and grimace and giggle and laugh and speak They play the with version it. with the poem? Yeah, yeah. They all do. Yes. Oh, wow. That, that must be like, that's like serious radio. It right? is. They've, I've also heard it on, on terrestrial radio too. Oh, so they do. They do like the big. The big push is for album radio, right? So the, that's right. the differentiate stations now. But yeah, they they play the one with the poem, the po- the poem ending, which is it's it's something else. If I was gonna make a mixtape for somebody, I would make Nights in White Satin with the poem, and then fade into Atlantis by Donovan with yeah. the poem at the beginning. Right. So right. so they'll be like listening to it, like, oh, that was a cool song. Oh, what's this? And then, oh, what's this? <laughs> Oh, this is a cool song. Right, right, right. This is a weird little bridge of strange poetry between... Uh, yeah. What do you think of the mixtape I made you? Well, there was this like 20 minutes in the middle that made no sense, right. but other than that... I feel like I need to be a literary major to understand any of this music you give me, Bill. All right, so what do you have for August the 6th? All right, August... This is a, an esoteric one and not a musical one, strangely enough. How dare you? How dare I? 1774. The founder of the Shaker movement, Mother Ann Lee, arrives in New York City. Arrives in, not New York City, but arrives in New York and sets up, I think she set up the first Shaker village there. The reason I, I chose this as one to discuss today. Oh, wait, so wait, oh, the yep. Shakers, this this isn't about dancing? Well, okay, so dancing was kind of an important part in the Shaker religion. So 
Oh, it's a religion. Okay. There's a lot to unpack here. So, uh, All right. Hold on. <laughs> the Shakers is a religion? Yes. That is badass right there. That is such a badass name for a religion. Right? I'm, the sh- I'm in the Shakers. I'm a Shaker. Uh, it's an offshoot of the movers. Yes. And yeah, yes. <laughs> they used to dance instead of procreate. So there is a there a religion that did not believe in procreating biologically. Uh, what? So, so yes, that that's they did not they didn't make more shakers the old fashioned way. That is a horrible business model. It's true. It's <laughs> difficult to uh difficult to imagine them having a growth pattern. Interesting because there's a the second Shaker village that that they established is up here in New Hampshire, in, in Canterbury, New Hampshire. And you can still go there and walk around and see all the houses and everything, and the, like the church, the sanctuary, and everything that they that they were at. It's it's a fantastic, gorgeous place to go mm-hmm. and check out. Uh, how they used to make more shakers is they were uh, a charitable organization and would take in orphan children, and uh-huh. then raise them up, raise up orphan children. And that would swell their ranks, and then they would bring in more orphan children, and that would sort of be how they did it. But then in the 1920s and 1930s, state government started to take over the administration of orphan children with social programs. Sort of private orphanages or charitable orphanages sort of went by the wayside. So did the Shakers. So the last of the Shakers sort of went extinct, like right around 19, I guess, 1980 or 1985 or 1990. Uh, Lived right in Shaker Village until then. And I don't know if anybody's trying to carry on their their tradition at all. Some of the things that that they're that they're more known for now are furniture. So they they had really really ornate woodwork, circular boxes, and sh- chairs and tables and stuff that you'll see in furniture stores as Shaker style furniture. So so there you go, the Shakers. Right. Is this a Christian set? It is, yeah. Okay, so I mean, it sounds like it with the furniture. It sounds like in leagues with the with the Amish or whatever. Well, it's one of those like <laughs> when you really want to get with someone. And you can't. What do you do? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go make a chair in the barn, honey. I'll see you later. Yeah, you right, know? right, right. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go put a box together. I'll be back in seven to ten hours. Um, so hammer everything together with my blue balls. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, that's that's the Shakers. That's August sixth. All right. All right. So August the seventh, nineteen eighty-eight, the Writers Guild strike comes to an end. Yes. Now this Writers Guild strike, if you look at the year nineteen eighty-eight is basically what happened was there was another writer's strike like 10 years earlier. Yep. This time around, there was like 9,000 members of the Writers Guild from movies and TV that had gone on strike. So this had put a halt to like television production. Yep. So this is where reality TV kind of gets its start because they didn't have everybody to write scripts. So they're like, well, hell, we'll just make TV that doesn't have scripts, which is where if you look at the date, it was just like right around the same time that Cops – Television program started. Right, that started. started the, yep. Uh, late, I think it was eighty nine when it started, and then um, Survivor wasn't long after that, and all the reality shows were basically born from this strike. Yeah, there was. I think the first one was the show called. I don't know if you remember it called High Risk. I only. I only remember. It, I do it, not. It was. It was. It was advertised as like a new way to be TV, and it was. Do you remember the mod? There used to be a model for TV. Which was like half variety show and half not. Like there was a show called Real People. Yes. And a show and, called and That's, that's incredible. incredible. Yes. Right. Well, this was like That's Incredible sort of. Uh-huh. Except it didn't have hosts. It was sort of just uh, narrated. Okay. And it looked at like stunt stunt people and weird, dangerous jobs. And it didn't. It it was it was a lot more sort of grounded in the mundane but interesting as opposed to like I remember on That's Incredible that was like they had the Yogi Kutu who would like put himself in a one foot square box yeah he was on there a couple of times yeah and this was a lot more grounded in like you know being a fisherman or being a mercenary or or working like um border patrol or doing some other thing 
Oh. Was one of those where you just hired a camera crew and you're like, go go follow those guys around, right? You know, and we'll edit something together for an hour. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they had no choice. They had nobody writing the shows. Right? I mean, we were going down the list. We were talking about like the shows that died because of the writers' strike. The first writers' strike there, the one in the late seventies and early eighties. I think would you just Buck Rogers in yeah. the twenty fifth century. Yeah, that one. That's why the whole second season is so awful and is so much shorter. Yeah, because they had like uh, Carl, the janitor, writing the scripts. I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was not not <laughs> not good at all. And um, and this one it it knocked off stuff because the audiences didn't come back when the shows did. Right. So like Moonlighting got whacked, Kate and Alley, which was a sitcom that got whacked as well. I used to like both of those shows. I loved Moonlighting and Kate and Alley. Uh, I actually just saw a movie that movie that we talked about with the baboon. Yeah. Like last week, the week before. Shakma. Shakma. Yeah. Uh, the little girl from Kate and Allie was in that movie. Yes. So and never to be seen the, again. Yep. Never to be seen again. Although she does voices for what Grand Theft Auto Five. So yes. There you go. Because you got that going for her. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's move on to the eighth. All right. Another music one. Nineteen sixty-three. The Kingsmen, a garage band, released the song "Classic." Like it's like a piece of classic Jamaican folk music called "Louie Louie." But they record it. They record it with so much distortion and fuzz, no one can tell what the singer is singing, and it gets labeled as obscene. Uh, they had a commission, like they yep. uh, uh, a the FBI spent a million dollars studying the song "Louie Louie" to see if it had any obscenity in it. And they, yeah, and it was like hundreds of pages like 200 pages later and they were like yeah we can't really understand the words uh, yeah we don't know what any of the lyrics are so so there you go your tax dollars at work but um you know louis is still a staple on radio everywhere you know what's really funny is there is an obscenity in that song is there and it's been right under our noses the whole time uh at one point in the song you can hear the drummer Drop his drumstick, and then he, and then he, you hear him mumble the f word. It's there. It's been there the whole time. I will have to listen to it more closely because I haven't heard that. Well, everybody mumbles every word in that song. How do you know it's (laughs) (laughs) every every word except for Louis is like potential f word, right? It's like somebody gargling a mouthful of marbles. Mm -hmm. So. Um, that was such like a weird time. Like everybody was af- so afraid of rock and roll. It's kind of like right. everybody was afraid of rap in the uh, in the early '90s because right. right around that same time in 1958, there was a song called "Rumble" by Link Ray, and it was banned from American radio because they thought it would incite like violence in teenagers. But there was no words. It was just yeah. There was no. It was a, well okay. It was an instrumental. It's just that the guitar was so distorted that they thought it was so, gonna yeah. They thought it was too much. So, yeah. So so let's 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 go back to our friends at Buck Rogers in the 25th century and the episode Space Disco, <laughs> where a band of space disco people are carrying subliminal messages in their in their music that makes teenagers destroy things. This is an actual episode of a television show that was written for people to watch, <laughs> <laughs> and it's astonishingly funny uh, in retrospect. And also, their music was instrumental. Ah, there is an episode, hear me out now, there is an episode of The Love Boat where Sonny Bono plays an Alice Cooper style shock rock kind of musician. Oh, man. Oh, I, I can't remember the name of the character. Just go go to YouTube and just type in Sonny Bono Love Boat. Sonny Bono. Yeah, I will do the that. song he sings is called "Smash It." It's great. It's it is phenomenal in how horribly silly it is. 
you know, whenever I started throwing Twibbly together, not just as uh, a podcast, but also as uh, the Instagram and and uh, and Facebook. Whenever I was, I'm looking up the things that happened on this day in history. Literally every day of the year has something to do with the Beatles. You know, for a band yes. that was around for like all of five years. I mean, seriously, they were not around all that long. Yeah, that's, that's for, true. Yeah, sixty. Well, sixty popular, sixty four to seventy. Yeah. So like, yeah, right. six years. Yeah. Well, not even seventy one. Probably like sixty nine. Yeah. You know. I think Let It Be came out in seventy one, but they were already oh, they yeah. were already like that was. Giving each other the, the middle yep. fingers every time they thought of one yep. another. But B was like a posthumous album, right? Because Abbey Road was actually recorded after Let It Be, but it was released before it. So anyway, uh, before all that, like I was saying, you can't find a day of the week that that something with the Beatles didn't happen. You know, they had a very productive five years. But on on August the 9th, 1966, the Yellow Submarine single and the Revolver yes. album were both released certainly one of my favorite of their songs, my favorite of their movies, and that's one of my favorite of their albums. So that's like a triple threat for me right yeah. there. The movie didn't the movie didn't come out until seventy two, but the song has always been one that stuck with me since I was a little little kid. The same way that Octopus's Garden stuck with me as a little like, what we like novelty song people today, yeah. Bill. Oh I'm a big novelty song person. Yellow Submarine. Yeah. <laughs> Louie Louie. Right. Jeez Louise. Right. Yeah. Wow. Hound Dog. It's not I, enough. Uh, Might as well be. Uh, actually, one of my favorite Beatles songs is on the Yellow Submarine soundtrack. It was probably one of the first Beatles songs I ever heard, too. It was. It's called All Together Now. I love yep. that song. All Together like, Now. All Together like, Now. Uh, together at the end of the now. spring, beginning of the summer, like Facebook had like started this uh, like you know video conference call app that I don't remember the name of it, but there was a, the commercials. I would see the commercials all the time and they used all together now, but sung by somebody else, like a cover song of it. Yes. And they, yep. it's like they skipped a line, you know, they skipped this, mm-hmm. the jump the rope line and they just went right to the chorus. And every time I heard it, it would F my S up because I'm like singing along with it. Cause I love that song. I'm like, no, right. wait, and what about skip the rope, dude? Been removed. Yep. Timing purposes. It's a shame. It's a great song. That is a great song. And I remember how that closes out the movie with them sort of all dressed like it was 1966. Yeah. Uh, I've got a hold in me pocket. You know, I've got a hold in my pocket. Yeah. Yep. Super I fun. owned that movie awesome. on DVD for probably 20 years and I ended up giving it to somebody without ever watching it. Oh, it's such a fun I, movie. I tried watching it. I, I loved it when I was a kid because they used to show it on the UHF stations every summer. Uh, you know, that's how I learned about the Beatles. It's like, ooh, cartoons? I'll watch this. Interesting... That none of the Beatles did their own voices in that. No. Did you ever see the Beatles cartoon? Do you yes, that I do. And that's how, because they used to show it on MTV in the in the 80s. One of my favorite Beatles songs of all time is, uh, I never knew it until I saw it on that cartoon. It's called And Your Bird Can Sing. It's actually on the, re- the Revolver album, it turns out. Oh, you said this earlier that "Good Day Sunshine" is one of your favorite Beatles songs. That is that is my favorite Beatles. Really? Yeah. I tend to shy away from the Paul McCartney songs, but a great Paul McCartney song on this album is interesting. Uh, it's uh, "Got to Get You Into My Life" is on the same album. It's on uh, it's on Revolver, yeah. and that is one of the few examples where I think a cover is way better than the original. "Got to Get You Into My Life" by the Beatles is is fine. Don't get me wrong. I like the song. But the Earth, Wind, and Fire cover of it is immaculate. Oh, you've never heard it? I can't remember that I have. I probably uh, have. But... Yeah, you probably have. 
It's from <laughs> uh, in 1978, one of the worst movies ever made. Um, if you ever want to come over and watch it, you're welcome to because I will watch it at any time with anybody. There is a movie called Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club oh, Band. Oh, jeez, Louise. Yeah, I remember with that. With the BGs and yep. Peter Frampton. And it's it's a uh, it's a jukebox musical where they use all Beatles songs. Yep. Earth, Wind, and Fire's cover of "Gotta Get You Into My Life" is from that soundtrack. That's that's probably why I don't know it. But that's enough about the Beatles, and that's enough about the uh, the main part of the show. We're going to move on to the celebrity birthdays. Famous birthday. I started the segment, so you can start the birthdays. All right, nineteen sixty, going all the way back to 1963. Again, clearly related to Louie Louie. This is the birth of James Hetfield. Yeah, yeah! Guitar and founder of Metallica, yes. Uh, did you ever see Metallica live? I have never seen Metallica live. I saw them live twice. Uh, I was working for a bootlegger at the time. And a, and a ticket scalper back in the days. Oh, I, could... I thought you meant like a bootlegger. I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, for an alcohol? No. Would you have a time machine to go back to 1931? <laughs> we used to record shows and then sell them at flea markets and stuff like that. So I was working for a bootlegger and I was working for a, a ticket scalper. And uh, we sold a bunch of tickets for the Metallica shows on the and Justice for All tour. So we saw them in Worcester and we saw them in Providence. Worcester was great. Providence, I walked out halfway through the show. Well, there you go. All right, so moving on to August the 4th, 1961, a rock star in his own right, Mr. Barack Obama. Current resident of Martha's Vineyard, yeah. Massachusetts. 1961. I, he's a lot younger than I than I thought. I'm, yeah. I'm just so old. I'm so used to very old politicians these days. I forget how young he was. He's old enough that had we known him as impressionable teenagers, he could have bought us beer. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. We did not know him. All right, next. August 5th, 1930, Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. Also the first man to say on the moon, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That's so. uh, that's such a crazy thing, like, because I, I, I look up at the moon quite often. I, he's not still there. I know he he's back. not still there. But, <laughs> like, I, I remember hearing my, my parents talk about it, like, when it happened and stuff like that, that they, you know, people were looking up at the moon and saying, there's somebody walking up there right now. Yeah. That's so crazy. That is crazy. I, I remember the later videos, and I'm pretty sure it was it's either him or Buzz Aldrin, but I think it's Neil Armstrong, where a guy is chirping at him oh, on the Buzz. street. Was that Buzz Aldrin was chirping Buzz. at him on the street about the, about the moon landings being fake, and he just turns around and he punches the guy in the face. <laughs> he goes, you're a, you're a phony <laughs> and you're a coward, and he just lays him out. Yeah. <laughs> lays him out. Okay, so there we go. Not quite Neil Armstrong, but one of his friends, the second man on the yeah. God God love the internet. Imagine that doing the most mind blowing thing in the history of mankind and then somebody saying And somebody somebody tells you you're full of crap because they read about it on Facebook or something. Right? We we oh. we have a saying around here. It's not a conspiracy theory. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. It's all right, so moving on, we got August the sixth, nineteen twenty eight. The very uh artistic, <laughs> very weird. Andy Warhol. Yes. I don't know a lot about his body of work. I mean, obviously, I know the stuff that everybody knows, like the, uh, the, the nine Campbell Soup Cans. The Campbell Soup Cans, the Nine Portraits of Marilyn Monroe, the Velvet Underground, right. uh, Banana. And I, he did a rated X version of Frankenstein called Flesh for Frankenstein that I've been meaning to see, but. It's not. I, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been warned. It's fun. I mean. Yeah. It's it's he did Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula. Those are the two yeah. in that series. I've been yeah. warned about Andy Warhol. <laughs> Andy Warhol did this other movie called Empire, and it's yeah, it's like, six hours long of just a static shot of the Empire State Building. 
Yeah, that's the kind of weird stuff they used to do at the factory. So, and putting the avant in avant-garde. Yeah. All right, so. moving on. All right, uh, August 7th, 1958, Bruce Dickinson, lead singer of Iron Maid, is born. And I cannot do the Bruce Dickinson scream. I can't do the scream. My head will fall off. But that dude can pitch a note like no one else. And he is amazingly talented. So whenever he first took over the vocals for Iron Maiden, the record reviewer was not kind. And they referred to him as the human air raid siren. (laughs) And he actually has accepted that. And people refer to him as the human air raid siren not as an insult, as an absolute like tribute and compliment because yeah, yeah, yeah I, I love that guy. It's it's great that I mean he's got such power and such range to his voice, but it, he's also got this amazing sense of humor to him as well. He's still belting it out even today. Yeah. I mean, Maiden is still making records with him. I saw Iron Maiden last summer, and they opened up with Aces High. And Bruce Dickinson, it took him about three songs to get warmed up. But whenever he first came out singing Aces High, I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be a long night. But right around, like, third song, it just clicked in. and it, it clicked Yeah, in. he sounded fantastic. Six, 60 years old, still can sing like that. That's wow. crazy. So I saw them two times in the last seven years at, at we call it Greywoods, but it's it's called like the Xfinity Center or something. It's in Mansfield, Massachusetts. I took my son to his very first concert. I took him to see Iron Maiden when they did the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son redo tour. So this was 2012. As soon as the tickets went on sale, I bought them. Like I had them hidden. I We had this whole subterfuge plan of how I was going to get him to the show. And I was like reveling in the fact that I was going to be the cool dad. Like here's my son. He's 10 years old. He's going to be the cool guy going to show the maiden shirt the next day to all his friends oh my god i went to this thing and like i'm gonna be the only guy there that's like this and and it may as well have been friggin father and son day because <laughs> every single dude that was there that was around my age had a little mini me with him so it was like family day it was crazy oh when when we went we hung out in the parking lot before the show like the people i went with wanted to like you know pre-game which i don't know i mean i'm not a drinker so that didn't really sound all that interesting to me but, right. oh, my God, what a circus sideshow that was. One, there was people there that looked like they had, like, their wardrobe ready to go. It was under their bed in a freaking tote, just like with, a, with the year 1988 marked on it, just <laughs> waiting to get worn again, you know? There were there were some German guys who were at the, the Seventh Sun show who I, there must have been a flash of light and a time tunnel or something that opened. <laughs> Because they appeared from 1988 in at this show. And even my son was like, look at those guys, Dad. They look like everybody that we went to high school with, Bill, yeah. that liked Iron Maiden. Oh, yeah. Except they were German. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> and they were way younger than I am. And I was like, what? So they, clearly they, they have a TARDIS parked out somewhere. <laughs> All right. So uh, another music birthday the next day. Again, 1961. What a year. The yep. Edge from U2. Right. Uh, hey, nice. Yeah, I'm, I've never been that big on U2. You know, they they started off being like this like post punk kind of political band. You know what song I like? I like that first single, "I Will Follow." Yep. But then somebody brought to my attention. They go, "You know what I hate about that song? The bells." I'm like, "What bells?" They go, "There's bells everywhere in that song." And now I cannot hear that song without hear <laughs> without hearing the. Them. Without hearing the yep, bells, to- what are you like, Quasimodo? You ruined it for me. There's this like, yeah, those is like. Bells. Did you ever notice that there's bells? I I have a funny relationship with you two. Like, I like a, a lot of their singles, mm-hmm. and I think that like I went to school with a lot of people who just marinated in U two records to the point where if you said I like, as in I wonder if you'd pass me the salt, 
they would start with I and they'd say Irish Republican Army. And I'd be like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Um, so like, and then they would talk to me for three hours about the importance of songs in the Joshua Tree, at which point I'd start eating inanimate objects like I had pica to try and kill myself. Uh, and that sort of colored my relationship with you too. But I will say that every single record they've ever put out has a, a handful of just amazingly good songs on them. Moving on and closing it up on August the 9th. Uh, August 9th, 1944. Everyone's favorite meme character right now, Sam Elliott, actor and uh, an all-around interesting guy to watch in film. Always made it, never made a bad movie as far as I can tell. If you look at him uh, now, it, was... it looks like he's been like just sitting around for like 10 or 15 years just waiting to play Mark Twain in a biopic. <laughs> or or like waiting for like Roadhouse 2, mm-hmm. except nobody else in that movie is still alive. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's he's somebody that's always interesting, takes interesting roles and really, really, really fun actor to watch. And again, I'll always remember him best because I watched Roadhouse approximately 653,000 <laughs> times, 295 times. But whenever I was but, doing the uh, the notes, uh, you know, looking up the notes for the show, August 9th was a tough one to try to find like a celebrity birthday to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like one of the yep. ones was like Australia canoeer it's like okay oh. obviously this website has a, a different idea of what a celebrity is than i do but one name that jumped out at me uh august 9th 1955 he was an american sports writer and this guy's name was peter schmuck oh that's tough <laughs> that's a tough name to have as a kid <laughs> you schmuck yeah i wonder if his middle name started with a u <laughs> like ulysses yeah or peter ulysses schmuck all right so now it is time. The worst song ever. All right. So, uh, what do we have for the worst song ever this week? All right. This song was number one this week in 1982, tied to the movie Rocky Three. It is "The Eye of the Tiger" by Survivor, oh. which I just realized rhymes. Right. So at the beginning of the show, I was talking about that song "Roar" by Katy Perry, which chorus says "Eye of the Tiger," and I said that was foreshadowing, folks, because now there are two. Unbelievably horrible and unlistenable songs dealing with eyes of tigers. I with I withhold judgment on the Katy Perry song. No, um, yeah, I I was never a huge fan of of this song by Survivor, but I love the way it was used in Rocky. And now whenever I hear it, and this song still gets a surprising amount of airplay, much to everyone's dismay. I still imagine like Sylvester Stallone punching stuff and doing sit ups and. And, got the and eye of the tiger, kid! And Mr. T punching stuff and doing push-ups and things. And I'm like, why am I thinking of those? I didn't even like Rocky Three, but, you know, there it is. Now, I was a huge wrestling fan. I still am. But whenever Hulk Hogan was in his heyday, he used Eye yeah. of the Tiger as his entrance music because, he, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan was in Rocky Three. He played Thunderlips. Was. Terrible name for yeah. him. He shouldn't just bet himself. Yep. Now, the, the, the thing with Survivor, do you know who likes the band Survivor? Your sister. No. <laughs> and you don't even have yeah, a sister. Your sister does too. Yeah. I don't have a sister. Do you know who else likes Survivor? My sister. That's that's the kind of music they kind of did. Like, Eye of the Tiger was kind of like weird. Like, it was different for them because, well, well for starters, that singer that sings Eye of the Tiger, like if you see the video, the guy with the, you know, way too thick foundation and... Yeah, and the, or the beret. the beret, yeah. I mean, didn't somebody in the band put up an argument? I would have, like... Dave, really? Are you, are you going to wear that beret? Really? And <laughs> <laughs> so, wait. This is a video. Didn't you see what this did to Billy Squire? Hear me out. Hear me out, Dave, okay? I just got this other idea, okay? 
don't wear the beret. <laughs> All right, so so Dave wins and he wears the beret, but Dave was not long for that band because he left and he was replaced by a guy named Jimmy Jameson. Now, any other Survivor song that you could possibly remember is sang by Jimmy Jameson. That's like the, um, well, for starters, they did the theme for the, the Karate Kid movie, The Moment of Truth, but they also had a couple of other hits that were just like, they kind of sounded like Ario Speedwagon after Ario Speedwagon started sounding like Survivor. Yeah, that was after Gary Ridgeway. Yeah, like uh, the search is over and high on you. They were just I don't know. Like remember how metal turned into like sap? Well, yes. that's what Survivor was without ever having the precursor of being metal first. So that yeah, that was Survivor, and then that guy, um, the guy Dave Bickler. Uh, the original singer of Survivor with the uh, with the beret. Yep. Do you remember those Budweiser commercials? Real men of Real genius. Real men of genius. Right. Like, but I always remember the line for like the guy, Mister Mister Taco Salad Inventor. <laughs> it's a it's a salad made up of four pounds of ground beef, refried beans, melted cheese, jalapenos, and I think some lettuce. And it's like somebody goes, "I don't see no lettuce." <laughs> But the, but the, yeah, in those commercials, there would be the guy singing in the background, but like taco right. salad. Well, yep. yeah, that's that's Dave that's Bickler him. from Survivor. Nice. Well, at least he got more work and a new beret. I I would think, right. yeah, and I'm sure I, he probably had the eye of the tiger. That guy. Uh, I remember one time um, at the gym, right? Uh, there's this guy working out next to me, and he's wearing these headphones, but they were they were kind of like on ear headphones. Yeah. Right. Not not the noise cancelers, the on ear ones, mm-hmm. all right. And he's listening to something so loud that I can hear it. And you know, like some people, they just get like so into it, they're like nodding their head and they're like uh, 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 to whatever they're working yes. out with. I always imagine every time I'm at the gym, no matter what somebody's working out to, I always imagine they're listening to Rage Against the Machine. But not this guy. This guy was working out and really into it. listening to eye of the tiger and i just wanted to ask him are you serious <laughs> are you training what what the hell is which, the matter what, with you what comes next in your training montage <laughs> why are you why are you doing cable curls when you should be punching cattle <laughs> cattle carcasses in a freaking freezer somewhere all right too funny all right so that ends our music episode of this week was way better last year. Thanks for joining us. We will see we will see you next week. Bill, knowing you and me that there will be other music themed episodes oh, of this yeah. program. <laughs> that's that's all folks. Right. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. All right. Bye guys. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Cosser for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.